Welcome back to Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation. My name is John Chandler. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll get on with our new conversation here in a few minutes. Today's guest is Meredith Dancos. Meredith is a teaching pastor at the Meeting House in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. This was a fun one for me because Meredith is someone I actually went to graduate school with up in Seattle, and we even had the pleasure of experiencing a preaching preparation class together, which we will allude to briefly, though it doesn't form much of our conversation today, as you'll see. But it's always fun to catch up with someone, Meredith and her husband. I, I had several classes with each of them, so it was a lot of fun to talk with her. Thank you so much for those of you who have been finding ways to spread the word and participate just in the growing life of Sermonsmith. Had a few people of late even subscribe to Audible through some of the sponsorship links that we've put up there. So thank you for that, because each time somebody does that, a portion of that comes back to the show. Really, the way it works is if you do the trial and then you end up signing up for one month, essentially your first month, which you get a book for, comes back to the podcast. So it's a way that you can support the podcast and you can also get some books. I encourage you to go to audibletrial.com slash sermonsmith. You get one book for free with a free 30-day trial. And then if you continue from there, that's when they uh, help support the podcast through your new membership, which you can cancel at any time. I'd encourage you to give, give it a try if there's a, you want to go try it out. And even if you get a free book and you don't continue it, that's great. I'm glad I could tell you about it. But a book I'd recommend this time around is Tim Keller's new book called Preaching. It came out this past summer. And it's a, that, it's, that kind of book is just a great format for listening to on audiobook. I've listened to a couple of Tim Keller's books on audiobook. So Preaching by Tim Keller is one that you could listen to for free during your commute, in the car, while you're jogging, whatever it may be and find a way to support the podcast at the same time. You can also go to patreon.com slash sermonsmith if you'd just like to become a patron of the podcast. You can sign up to uh, contribute a certain amount per episode. I'm trying to do two a month if that helps you factor in how, how, uh, how much you might want to give. But I know that if we get to a certain point, my goal is to be able to give more time to this and up it to three podcasts a month or even one every week. So patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash sermon smith all that said let's move on to today's conversation with my friend meredith Dancos. i hardly okay. i hardly edit anything just be forewarned <laughs> okay so it, anything you say is permanent record forever i will try to be very careful then <laughs> <laughs> all right well meredith tell us about uh, the church where you are and your role there yeah i am at the meeting house in carlisle pennsylvania we are Brethren in Christ Church, which Brethren in Christ is an Anabaptist, Wesleyan, and Pietistic denomination. So it's all three streams in one, but we're mainly Anabaptist. Yeah. And uh, so the Meeting House is the largest BIC church in the U.S. And we are about, we have two different campuses and multi, so we always say we're multi-venue, multi-site. So within our Carlisle campus, we have two worship venues at the, that are doing different worship expressions at the same time. And then we simulcast the service. And we've been doing that for about 12 years. And wow. we've just recently opened up a second site in Dillsburg, which is about 20 minutes away. So we record the sermon at a separate service. So now we have about seven different worship expressions. We have a dialogue service as well, where we record the sermon for the Dillsburg campus on a Thursday night. 
And so they have their own worship expressions too, and they have two services. So we have, um, we're multi-generational as well. We have, we recently just celebrated changing our name and remembering all that we've been. And we, we asked, you know, jokingly, cause we're over a hundred years old. If anyone's been here for a hundred years, stand <laughs> up and no one stood up. But then they said, if anyone's been here part of the church for 90 years or more stand up and someone stood up, Wow! someone has been part of our church for 90 years and all the way from like, and then 80, 70, 60. Yeah. So we've got a whole generation of people in their nineties and then we've got young families as well. So we're a broad spectrum church across many, many ages. So I've, I've had Bruxy KV on here before. Okay. So you have the same name. We do. They're a, they're a BIC church, aren't they? They are. Yeah. So, uh, so is there just a relationship there, a friendship or? Yeah. So we, when we were going multi-site, we knew we had to change our name and we've been thinking about what that could be. And Bruxy was here one of the weekends where we talked about that. And he actually was the one who said, Hey, have you guys ever thought about using the meeting house? And <laughs> we said, well, the, we know that name is in use already. And, uh, but as we talked more, we really feel like we're sister churches and we're working on what does our relationship look like moving forward? How can we work together? They keep joking. They, planted a church in America for free <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in the United States. So, um, but yeah, they're the largest BIC church in, in North America. So right. they've got multiple sites. And so we're learning a lot from them and they're learning from us. And so there's a partnership, but we're not quite sure all of what that's going to be, but we really appreciate each other. Yeah, sure. All right. So I asked you, uh, tell us about the church and your role. What's your role there? Oh, okay. So I am the teaching pastor there, which means I'm I'm the secondary teacher. So Josh Crane and I share the, the teaching responsibilities on, on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And then I also oversee all of our discipleship efforts. So uh, the children's pastor, youth pastor, community life pastor, and congregational care pastor all report to me. And together try to figure out how do we combine our discipleship efforts rather than pulling against each other and competing. You know, when your church starts to get large, it can start to feel like, well, if your ministry right. wins, then mine loses. And instead in this day and age asking, how do we simplify our ministries? How do we work together? So I oversee our discipleship efforts. I also oversee all of our leadership development. So starting with the staff and then uh, moving outward from there. Fun. So yeah, how, it's a pretty good job. In the, so in the midst of that, like th there's two of you, you know, who are primary teachers. How often do you do you do Sundays? I do like once or twice a month okay. on average. And then I'm, but that it all depends on what our schedules are like. Right. like coming up, I'm doing a three week series. And um, so. And, and with all, and with all those different venues, I think you talked about seven different services. How many times do you actually preach? Uh, three, three. Okay. So Thursday night and then twice on Sunday morning. And Thursday night's discussion based. Yeah. So like, it's does it just help prepare or. Yeah. It's both like, so you're actually delivering the message. Uh, there's no music or anything like that. So it's for some people that's a lot easier. You know, they, they feel intimidated by coming and singing and what, whatnot. So there's no music. It's just the sermon and then there's a Q&A time afterwards so people can 
interact with the preacher, which is which is pretty fun. Uh, and but that Thursday night recording is what is used at our Dillsburg campus currently. All right, so we're just already going off my standard order of questions because <laughs> this is fun right here. Uh, so we'll circle back to other stuff I like to ask. Um, but sure. so I mean, that being the case, how did that start? Because I've never heard anything like this before. Yeah, so it was we were trying to figure out. Because the Meeting House Canada, part of how they have so many sites is they record it on Sunday at their main site and then all their satellite sites get the sermon up the week following. Yeah. But for us, with only having one other site, that feels kind of lousy to be a week behind. So we were, but simulcasting, you know, being in Pennsylvania, weather is a huge issue. And so trying to do that live on a Sunday morning, run into all sorts of problems. So this is an, an experiment right now. <laughs> We've been, so we're going to try it for six months and see how so it works. So it's a new thing. Some, it is. Yeah. Some weeks it's great. And some weeks, I mean, you're preaching to a full auditorium with about 50 people if you're lucky. Hmm. Um, so it can feel like I'm being very big and loud and there's 35 yeah. of you in the room. So it can, you have to pull pretty deep. Like um, how how many does the auditorium seat? It seats oh like almost four hundred. Yeah. So okay. So yeah, it feels really empty, um, and then, which is challenging. And I assume that they're kind of spaced out too. So that's is that weird for Q and A? Yeah. Well, we've kind of worked the first few. You learn pretty quickly. The first few weeks, people would spread out, and you as a as the preacher, try to be engaging the room and looking at people. But for a video, that looks really terrible because you're always looking off to the side because people don't like to sit front and center. So we've actually started taping off different sections so yeah, that most yeah. of the people are concentrating in the center. So it just looks more natural. Um, so that's helpful to have them all in one spot. Got it. All right. Well, we'll. I'm sure that'll turn out to be part of your sermon prep process too. That we'll come back to later. But I was just curious because that's that's a new thing. But I kind of like the possibilities that could come out of that. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. How would you describe uh, the role of preaching in in the life of the meeting house? Like, what role does it take? Yeah, it's a it's a really important role uh, where you know, being in the Anabaptist tradition, we're pretty simple Mm -hmm. in our worship style. So we don't have a lot of liturgy, not a lot of sacraments. So, uh, the, the message does take up the, the primary portion of, of our gathering time on Sunday morning. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And is it typically more of a, like, is it considered pretty teaching oriented or, uh, declaration of gospel like how would it like what tone would you say it takes definitely more teaching conversational in tone i mean obviously when you're preaching to so many people you're not getting to have a back and forth but it it's much more of uh we all we always say there are talks that start other talks so one of the things that is central to our church is circles which are sermon-based discussion groups that happen throughout the week so Really, we want the sermon to be the first word, not the last word of what we're doing. So it's really offering something up and helping people think about how would you apply this and how would you think about it. So uh, it covers a wide variety of topics and books, and you know, we try to be pretty playful with it. Yeah. So, and I, I mean, 
I, I, don't, I haven't actually said this in the recording. Maybe I'll say this in the intro. I know you. All right. We yes. went to grad school together, so we have history. Yes. So, so I know part of your process is you, your first, the first church you went to after you finished your MDiv was pretty liturgical, wasn't it? That was the impression was. I had. Yeah. Yep, it was. And then you were at Mars Hill in Grand Rapids, which, I mean, I don't know what that's like. Uh, you know, I'm familiar with the church, but I don't know what the worship yeah. service was like. But I had a, I would have an impression it's just a pretty straightforward big church service and now yeah. you, uh, how much would meeting house contrast to that being what well, you described as a very simple service yeah and one thing about mars was you're preaching in the round which yeah. is super fun so yeah. that's its own challenge but um this is probably your more standard like worship service what you would what you would expect i really miss the liturgical i really love it yeah um adding adding communion and Eucharist each week mm -hmm. is something I enjoy, but it's not been part of the churches that I've been working for for the last five years or so. Yeah. So I miss that. I, I always like to get a little communion in there on the side when I can. So. Got Fair enough. Well, come on down to Austin anytime. We take it every okay, week. Okay. I, <laughs> I definitely will. <laughs> All right, so you talked about how you're like you're doing a three week series coming up, and just how things play out. Like, what's the process look like for how you plan out sermons? Like, not your particular sermons, but just like the whole series that you are entering into in the church and all that. Yeah, so we we plan out a year in advance, and with that, we're taking into account our circle sessions. So when circles are in session, they they meet for nine weeks. So we try to have ser sermon series. There might be one or two during that time, but mm -hmm. not like start halfway through a sermon series, but to start when those kick on. So taking that into account. And then we try to do, you know, a combination of things. So book studies. So we'll be doing a, a series on the book of Hebrews coming up in the spring. Mm -hmm. um, we'll be doing one on the one another's coming up as well. Uh, but we also like to tie in some theological issues or some historical issues. So we're, we'll do a series on our second part. We we did Back to the Future last mm -hmm. year, Back to the Future Part 1, which was looking at the Anabaptist stream mm -hmm. of the BIC. And we'll be doing Back to the Future Part 2 in January, looking at pietism. So we we try to be pretty playful with it. Uh, the series I'm putting together is on margin. So we try to do some life things, you know, which I'm like, I desperately <laughs> I'll be preaching to the choir. Um, I'm laughing. So, I'm laughing. I'm just going to, I'm going to out you right now. I'm laughing because well. she had a hard time responding to an email or two, uh, mixed up one date and then told me she's pre preparing to preach on margin. So I know <laughs> I just had to put that in there for everybody to hear. God has a very good sense of humor, right? The best sermons are the ones you preach to yourself. So I won't argue with that. Yeah. So, okay. So that's kind of what we do. We try to have a good variety and Yeah. So, and when does that planning happen? I mean, you say a year in advance. Like what time of year does that happen? We did this one in the fall. So, we looked at the rest of 2015 and and 2016 through the fall. So, through the summer. So, mm -hmm. we'll probably circle back and do 2016 sometime in the late spring. And then um, it, so that we'll be thinking about when do circles start and all that. And with that, then have you, do you already know like all the dates and topics you in particular are going to be 
preaching? No, no, we just have a say of like, this will be a nine week series. This will be a four week series. And yeah. then Josh and I kind of look at when we're available. Thursday is thrown a wrench into that. Cause before you look at Sundays, you're like, Oh, when am I available for Sunday? Did right. Right. Thursday and Sunday, which has made it a little tricky some, some weeks. So I had a class with you in grad school. I really, yeah. I really enjoyed my graduate school experience. We both went to Seattle school. Uh, you were in my very first class, you and your husband, um, which was fun. Church history yeah. class. I remember that class. I know you remember it because I think you kind of had a little crush on the professor. I did. I did. <laughs> I still do. I have a, a crush on Craig Barnes, so I'll out myself with that. But so um, because I said he reminds me of my husband, but I think my husband will be like at that age. So there's that. Or, or you hope he'll be like, right? Anyway, anyway, so. that's okay. But that's not the class I was going to talk about. We had a yeah. preaching class together, which, which was, you laugh, which, which was, which was a class that was very much in development and needed continued development. So I'm not sure going to, even though we took that class together, I'm not going to pretend I know anything about what your sermon prep process looks like, because I don't know, I don't know how much that class might've shaped it. Not very much. So, <laughs> so this is the only preaching class that you could have taken and not had to give a sermon. Right. So. Right. Yeah. It was more about deconstructing preaching. It was an interesting class. Sure was. <laughs> all right. And I'm totally leaving this in. I'm totally leaving this okay. in. So, okay. So all that said, knowing that you're going to be doing a three-week series on margin or whatever, but what walk us through, especially because you have other duties at the church. So I know that this might shift and change, but... Walk us through what your process looks like for preparing any given sermon. Yeah. So, and as much as you can attach timelines to it, you know, I know that they change and all that. So, yeah. So I, so what's fun about Josh and I being the two teachers is we have very similar conversational styles, but our prep styles are very different. So for me, He's very high P on the Myers-Briggs, which I would say, P stands for possibility. And he <laughs> sometimes doesn't know what he's going to say until he goes out on stage. I am very high J on the Myers-Briggs. So I am a planner. And I, so I have timelines. I've never gone on a Sunday morning and not sure what I was going to or say. Or a Thursday night. Or a Thursday night. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, for, so now I, I definitely start thinking about what I'm, going to preach on at least a couple weeks in advance, even if I'm already working on one sermon or I'm about to preach. By the time I get up there, that's pretty packaged. So about two weeks in advance, I'll really start looking at, okay, what passage, either if the passage is, is already part of the sermon, right? Like if you're doing Hebrews, then I'd just be reading that passage for a while. But for this margin series, for example, which starts next Thursday, um, I knew the general topics that I wanted to talk about and then started thinking about, okay, so what, where in the Bible am I feeling drawn to what story keeps coming to mind uh, and, and spend some time reading that passage. And I tend to find, I mean, for me, I have a very high trust in the Holy spirit as I'm preparing sermons. And so I, I tend to wait and see what keeps popping up. Why and sometimes that makes sense at first, and sometimes it takes a little bit of researching the passage to be like, oh, now I see what this is. So I always start with scripture though, and praying about what what might you have 
God, what would you want me to talk about? What, where are you drawing me? And then, um, read that passage for a little while. And is that time that you've blocked out to do that? Or is that you just know you're going to be talking about margin and so it's in the back of your mind and when you're driving, it comes to mind or is it, so is it? Yeah. 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 At least in the beginning portion, it's, you know, about two weeks out, it's in the back of my mind. I'm, you know, thinking about it. I'm always reading as well. So typically I'll see what is inspiring me from what I'm currently reading that I can draw in. So that's just kind of sitting in the back of my mind. But as I get the week beforehand, um, so say it's Thursday, Thursday. So the Thursday prior, I would already have my passage picked and I would do my exegetical work right on the front end. So I would pull out some commentaries, see what they have to say, see what the issues in the passage are, what questions are typically being asked, uh, what what I'm finding interesting. So that's really where I start is with the exegesis. And then I, as I'm looking at that, I start to see what else, what else comes to mind along that. And and I'm a big fan of drawing in other voices. So I almost always have one or two, two quotes from yeah. someone else. Cause I, one, I like to expose people to the broad array of thinkers there are in our Christian tradition. And then also, I find that often people who are writing on these topics have said something pretty profound or pretty concisely that they're just saying it better than I'm saying it. So yeah. I always find one or two other voices that I want to bring into the conversation as well. And then I start thinking about I, one of the things I did take from uh, our grad school class. I, I'm pretty sure we read the homiletical spiral as part of our class, or at least I was exposed the hom- the to the homiletical plot. Is that it? And then yeah. he talks about the spiral, like what's right. the point and then bringing people down into what's the problem or the tension and then helping people come up on the other side. And that's been really helpful for mm-hmm. me to think about that movement of how do we bring people down into what's something you might not have known about this passage or what's, what's a tension here? How do we put it into context? How do we understand it? And and then doing some application with it. So that book's been mentioned a number of times as I've done these. I think you're number yeah. fifty seven, fifty eight, something like that. And uh, I, I realize I really need to go back and reread that book because because <laughs> I vaguely remember the discussions about that. Yeah. The the yeah. book I remember from that class was preaching as local theology and folk art. Just because I even yeah. loved the imagery, like that's where I was introduced to the term local the- theology and. I just love that imagery of it, that it's like this, it's this unique local artistic expression of sorts. So I don't remember much from that book, but I remember the title really well. I know. I do. (laughs) I I still have it. Yeah. yeah. Leona Tubbs Tisdale. I even remember her name and it's sitting right over on my shelf. Yeah. I need to read that one again too. All right. So sorry, I'll just say that I just throwing in these little interjections and taking us off course. (laughs) All right. So back to, um, so Thursday, like we're talking seven days before. We're not talking the Thursday yeah. that you're going to, right? No, 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 no. Seven That's, days that wouldn't be very J. That would not be very J. Um, no, no. So that you're sitting down and when you talk about doing your, your exegetical work, are you a Bible software person or do you have, is there a nice library of books there at the church or you have a library or? Yeah, I've built a, a bit of a library. Um, I'm a paper person. So yeah. as much as I try to embrace the digital world, I just, 
can't think well with screen. So I actually do all of my sermons on yellow legal pads to start. Yeah. I do, you know, pen to paper. I'm looking at paper commentaries. Uh, and, and, and I have a few that I really love. Now, part of the challenge of being that I'm learning here in Carlisle is I got to build up my library a bit more because when I was in Michigan, the Erdman's bookstore and the Baker bookstore and all of the major Christian publishers were there. So you could just go into their bookstore and use their hmm. commentaries. They yeah. had a section for pastors. So I'm missing that a bit. Yeah. Um, having those resources uh, available to the extent that I did before, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a paper commentary, sit down with a bunch of different books and flip through them and see what, what comes up. You have any, you have any go-to commentary series or is it, you kind of take it by book? I do. I have, um, I really love the new international Greek commentary series. That's, that's been really helpful. Um, and then there's a, a series that was put together called feasting on the word. That's Barbara Brown Taylor is the editor for that. And they've done a, a, the whole lectionary. I was going to say that's lectionary based, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then they've also done feasting on the gospels. So they have them for the gospels as well. And so sometimes my passage is in there and sometimes it's not depending on if it's a lectionary passage, but that has four different perspectives in, in it. And I've really loved that I almost always find something interesting in the, in those word biblical commentary is a good one to sure. check out as well. And is uh, it? But those are some of my goals too. And and I like the for everyone series too. Mm-hmm. Um, just I think NT Wright often has some sort of interesting perspective or nugget that you can take from that. So those are some basic ones that I'll take a look at. I assume feasting on the word has some kind of master index. I haven't, I've heard of, but I haven't seen it. And we do lectionary sometimes, but does it have some kind of master index so you can easily look up the passages? It, yes and no. Like if you're in the particular book, it does, but I'll often Google and say like, is this passage in the revised common lectionary? And then I'll find it and then I'll go look in the the year and because it breaks it up. Like there's four books per year. So it's, Google it can is, be cumbersome. Using Google is not very paper-oriented of you, though. No, no. That's that's probably about the extent of my digital research for a sermon right there. So on Thursday morning or yep. afternoon, whatever, you're sitting out and you've got four or five commentaries spread out and the yep. yellow legal pad. Yep. What are you writing down on the legal pad as you're going through these? I'm typically going like verse by verse and seeing, you know, what's an interesting context piece thing to at least have in the back of my mind, whether I'm going to bring that out or not. Um, like currently I'm preparing one on uh, time margin and the three encounters in Luke nine of the people who say, I want to come and follow you, mm-hmm. Jesus, but first let me do this. But first let me do this. So looking at, Oh, the one when Jesus says, well, let the dead bury their dead. Like that's a good example where that's one of those statements you're like, what? That just sounds so mean and it's always kind of irked me. Yeah. And so writing down, oh, that's what's going on in this passage. That's what burying your dead, the significance of that. And so Jesus saying this to this man is telling him, well, even the most religious thing, the the highest religious duty that you have, you have to leave that behind to follow me. So trying to find 
the understanding of the passage and the things that stand out to me, the questions that I've always had about it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just writing down notes and, and across the commentaries beginning to see, is there a common theme or is there a disagreement around this? You know, and, and so really just collecting a big pool of data that will be in the back of my head as I'm preaching. And some of it I'll pull out and some of it just informs what I'm going to say. Yeah. And then is there a, you talk, you also talked about, even as part of this process is where you try to bring in other voices and you pull quotes, like where do those voices tend to come from just off your bookshelf or what's that look like? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have a really, really large library. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, every, we've moved a lot. And every time we move, we're like, we have more boxes of books than anything (laughs) else. (laughs) Many, many boxes of books. And, uh, and I'm, I just love to read. So typically, and I have a, again, I have a real memory for paper for some reason. Like I can remember quotes, what they looked like and where they were hmm. on the page. And I, you know, I write a lot in my books and I flag pages that I, that I know that I love that quote. So it's pretty easy for me to remember, oh, this person was talking about that. And I can easily go back and I'll write on the side of a page, like, time margin, you know, just to know that that's kind of a theme that's being drawn there. So trying to, I just make it a regular practice to try to be reading all sorts of interesting things. I'm not a big blog reader or article reader. I'm really a paper book. I'm very old school. (laughs) But even as much reading as you're doing, you have a pretty, it's not like you're keeping track of this chapter and this book was good for this for future reference. It's just your, your memory. You can go back to those pretty often. Yeah. Yeah. And I tend to teach from what I read as well. So I'll like in terms of other settings. So, you know, often I have, I've maybe have used that quote before or pulled from it or at least referenced it. So, yeah, but most of it's just memory, you know, that I, I remember a book that really impacted me or, or yeah. what someone talked about. So then I'll take that out and I'll actually write the quotes on my legal pad. Right, right, right. <laughs> so just, you know, there's some, I mean, they've done research on when you write something with your hand on a piece of paper, your brain remembers it differently than when you type it. So I, I'll write out the quotes and start really what I start doing throughout the, after I do the exegetical work, I'm starting to, you know, think about who else is talking about this or what else do I remember? Um, what culturally is going on that feels like it speaks to this. And I start to basically build an outline as I go. So I'll fill up probably like 10 or 12 pages on a legal pad Hmm. of just thoughts and ideas. And, and then I'll start to read through that and start to circle things like, okay, this feels like my point. This feels like my point. My husband's really great at helping me sort that out because he'll say to me, that is a great point, but it is not your point. Because, you know, Hmm. as preachers, we are so tempted to be like, there's so many awesome things to say. Yeah. And it's been a real discipline for me to have to say, make, make one point. And I think preaching seven minute homilies when I was in grad school that I had to do that for my internship really, really helped with that. Because in seven minutes, you can only make one point. Right. Yeah. So it's and and then the other thing that's really helped me is in all of my other teaching i've done i've learned that the majority of the population here i am showing my myers briggs nerdiness um 
is their S's, so they're sensates, they're concrete thinkers. But the so seventy five percent of the population are S's, but really the majority of teachers and leaders are N's. So they're very intuitive and they think in theory. And so S's often don't understand what's going on. So I've learned to really I am an N, but I've learned to really teach to a more concrete thinker and to help make faith understandable. That's that's one of the big roles that I I see that I bring to the church. So helping things be be visible in a lot of ways that you could actually grasp it. And so really that's always in the back of my mind too is how how could someone who's a real concrete thinker grasp what I'm talking about and really be able to apply it to their lives and feel like they understand. So what's what's an example of something that you feel like you've just as an N, which I, I'm an N as well, you've intuitively yeah. understood and thought, I have to make this concrete. Like, how's that look? Good, good question. Um, <laughs> make it, make this concept you just talked about concrete for us. <laughs> you know, one of the sermons that I have gotten uh, the best feedback on is I did one on gluttony on the five different forms of gluttony. And, and with that, I had like, a, so one of them is overindulgence. And so I had a big bowl of jello and just started talking about, you know, cause there's this concept of being overindulgent, but then to be able to talk about like, what's the role of jello in our lives. And, um, you know, there's always room for more and giving people a visible, so I had a visible picture for each, each way that we were talking about it, and it helped the concept apply to that actual object that I was that I was holding or, you know, just recently I was talking about how too often we think transformation happens by behavior management. You know, if we just got our behavior right, then our heart would change. And so I draw, I actually got a whiteboard out on stage and drew an, a picture of an iceberg and talked about the 10% that's above water being our visible life and the 90% that's below water being our interior life. Yeah. And that in fact, we think transformation starts in the 10% and trickles down into the 90, but really it starts below the surface where God is and bubbles its way up to the, and it starts to change the 10%, but it's where you start. And that for so many people just really hit home. Hmm. So trying to give people pictures yeah. and images for concepts of spiritual transformation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, so I'm going to backtrack because I keep you yeah. keep th- saying things, and then I I take us off on little side rat trails. But uh, so you you talked about how an outline, as you're looking at your ten or twelve pages, an outline starts to emerge. Yeah. Does that? I mean, do you have? How does that? I, I love asking this question. <laughs> some people answer it really well, and some people can't articulate it. But how does that outline come together? I mean, do you have a specific structure that you try to fill? Or how does that, okay, go ahead, say, say more. Yeah. So, um, with that, like I, I literally have like intro and write up like whatever the intro, what's the main point going to be? What's the either, you know, a funny story or a question, but something that engages people and then points beneath that. And then, you know, it'll always say like point one and, you know, whether that's to read the passage and what I want to draw out from that. And then. Um, the, and, and another thing that was really helpful for me is learning again with, with dealing with sensate thinkers is you can't go too far into a concept without an illustration, Mm -hmm. you know, giving some, so 
typically I'll have like, okay, so what's my point? And then what's the illustration that I'm going to use here to help people picture that and see that whether it's one that I pull through the entire time or one or multiple ones. So I'll have like point one illustration, point two illustration. So, uh, and then I'll pull the quotes in underneath that. So I don't know if that actually answers your question. No, yeah, it does. So, I mean, you do have a particular structure that you try to I do. put pieces in place for. Yeah. Yeah. It's very and J it's of like, you. It is. I actually have a, free, <laughs> I have a word doc. So I start building it on the piece of paper, you know, like yeah. in on my yellow legal pad. And then I eventually, how I move from the pad to a word document is I, as I start to see that coming in, into focus, I actually have a formatted template that I use every time when I preach. Hmm. So I just start putting things into that. Um, where things are bolded. And I love to teach with slides too. Like yeah, yeah. I think people getting to see the words that you're talking about or see the quote is really helpful. Yeah. So even that, putting the slide in so that people can follow along who are in the tech booth in the back. And so it's it's pretty detailed, my my outline. But by the time I start preaching, it's so in my head, I rarely look at it. But it's, I mean, you could read it and know pretty much word for word what I'm about to say, but it's all bulleted. So right. it's not manuscript. Where in that process does that outline start to form? Like between Thursday and Thursday, where does that outline start to form? And then when do you put it in Word? Yeah, it's between Thursday and Thursday. It would be done by Tuesday. Yeah. You know, so that it's. So I'd probably start putting in Word like Sunday ish, you know, mm-hmm. that it's been sitting in my head. I've been doing some research between Thursday and Sunday. Between Sunday and Monday, it would be in a Word document, and by Tuesday, it would be I, – I could teach it on Tuesday if I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, but then I sit with it and just – I'll read it over a couple times um, and just kind of let it rattle around in the back of my head. And so what you end up taking with you into the pulpit – I don't know if you have a pulpit, but uh, is a printed Word document? Yep. And I put on a music stand, and I have my Bible, and – then I'll follow along with it. You know, as I go, I'll have a sense that I've turned the page. Yeah. Um, so that way, if I do get lost, I can find my way back. But I rarely get on tra- rabbit trails as I'm teaching. I'm pretty focused. I've, I have a few moments of off the cuff. <laughs> you know, I, I'm definitely, because I feel like I'm ch- chatting with people, it's not really rigid, but I already know what I'm saying. So yeah. all at the same time. So, all right, Thursday night now. I said we'd circle yeah. back to Thursday night. So you preach that for the first time, and then you have Q&A. Yep. yep. So how how often are you finding, and I don't know how long the Thursday night thing's been in, in place, but how often are you finding that you end up modifying or tweaking your sermon between Thursday and Sunday because of that? Yeah, that's very funny. Uh, me, I don't tend to tweak or modify it much at all. There might be a point where you're like, oh, that was, Clearly, that was not clear, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I need to say that a little differently. Um, Josh, on the other hand, it's been a huge struggle for him to have the <laughs> Thursday sermon and the Sunday sermon be the same. But for me, it's like I could preach a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It'll probably all be pretty much the same thing. By the time I land the plane, it's landed. So I just get more comfortable with it the more I do it. So by the third time you preach it, you so, know, you, you so know the Q&A. Gonna the Q and A doesn't tend to expose the fatal flaws. It least. will. It will if you uh, 
I haven't had that happen yet, but yeah. I'm sure one of those sermons where you're like, oh man, that's a big problem. I'm going to have to fix that. That would be helpful. Right. Um, so, but it, it does help see what, what stirs up for people to, yeah. um, what questions they're bringing or, you know, and have, even if it's not directly about your message, but it's about the passage, you kind of have a sense of what others are going to be bringing in on Sunday. And that just helps you be a little bit more sensitive to that or, or think that through. And and this is a this is an out of the norm question for what I normally ask, but I'm sure you'll be able to answer it. No problem. You talked about the circles. So, yeah. what do you provide to the circle groups out of the sermon? Yeah, we have a circle insert each week in our bulletin, and we actually write out questions. We talk about hear, talk, live. And so we have questions about what you heard and then questions about the passage itself and then how to apply it um, for them. So we we write questions on staff for the circle groups. And is that do you is whoever is preaching, do they write those or does somebody else? No, yeah, we have a community life pastor who writes them. So is what's the coordination then look like between whoever's preaching? Oh yeah. I actually totally forgot a massive part of our (laughs) (laughs) look at that. Um on Tuesday, the week before you're teaching. So, so this past Tuesday. Two days before. Um, no. Nine two, days before. Nine days before. All right. So this, I'm teaching next Thursday, this last Tuesday. We actually have a sermon prep time as a staff. And so any <laughs> staff member who wants to be part of it comes into your This office. seems like it's a pretty significant part <laughs> of the process. <laughs> I totally forgot it. Um, meeting house staff, I love you very much. And <laughs> So that says nothing about you. Uh, no, and so that is super helpful because typically you have a general sense of what you're going to talk about. You've done like some first blush stuff on on the passage. Um, and then you – so really I guess I'm lying and say even that Thursday I do my deep – I do do most of my exegetical that, that Thursday, but I typically try to do a little bit Tuesday morning before Tuesday afternoon. Um, and you just kind of throw up like – on the whiteboard. These are some general things. This is the passage that I'm thinking about doing. Here's some general concepts that I'm, that I'm thinking about hitting. And then we open it up and people talk about what stood out to them in the passage, or they ask you questions about, well, what are you hoping people are going to take away from this? What's the ultimate goal? They'll think about how they've experienced the topic that we're talking about or things that they know Hmm. in the BIC that would be helpful. So that has been, that's a super helpful time yeah. because our staff is just top notch and they, they bring a, a lot of thought to that. And so it feels very collaborative and that's probably the time where you find your weak, your weaknesses and yeah. what you're thinking more than dialogue. <laughs> the staff will be like, have you thought about this? And you're like, I have not. And that's a really good point. <laughs> so so and, that's been really good. And that's open to anybody on staff. Anyone on staff. And how many yeah, people typically, like how many people are in the room? This last week, we had so many that we had four people sitting on the floor. I think it was like 12 people in the room. Yeah. You know, about, so 12, 15. How long does it last? Um, an hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's great. They're, they're just really awesome. They bring all sorts of perspectives. And because our staff is also diverse in age. So, and, and experience. We have some people who have been in the BIC their whole lives and others who have been in all sorts of traditions. So, they're just really representative of what's going to be in the room as yeah. well. Okay. 
Well, uh, I know we're working towards winding down here. I think you had a something else to go to soon after this, but I'm guessing you have to pick up your daughter or something like that. Yeah, but... we do trick-or-treating on Thursday night, huh. not on Halloween day. So we're going trick-or-treating tonight. All right. So <laughs> being the reader that you are, I'll ask you one more question. Favorite, right. uh, not favorite books, but books that you feel like have really been formative in your oh. preaching. Yeah. Um, so there's some people that I go back to time and time again. I think James Bryan Smith wrote The Good and Beautiful God. Yeah. And if you have not read that, it is spectacular. Uh, his, his, it's both so understandable, but his approach of exposing false narratives about who God is and really showing God is loving, God is trustworthy, and God is generous, that I come back to that again and again. Anything Barbara Brown Taylor has written at mm -hmm. all, I love her. An Altar in the World in particular, I find really helpful. Um, these are books I use in order to enhance my, my preaching, sure. not necessarily research on preaching, though she's done a ton on, on how to preach. Um, gosh, I think, I mean, I... I love Henry now and I love Parker Palmer. Like anyone who's got just this very generous voice around who God is and helping us understand one another as well. I yeah. mean, I could go on and on, but it's all good. That's all good. Um, I just, I love asking these questions cause like I have an altar in the world sitting on my iPad right here in the Kindle app and I haven't, I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. So maybe oh. I need to just bump it up right after your little, uh, it's so great. Yeah. I'm currently reading Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. And yeah. that's that actually is a book that I'll be drawing on for this series just because it I, I was reading it for my own personal development, but what she's talking about really lines up with what I'm gonna be preaching about. So I often find God is is doing that and that's really fun. Yeah. Well, Meredith, it's great to chat with you. You too. So if somebody wants to know more about what's happening at Meeting House of the United States, not of Canada, <laughs> and right. like your own Twitter and blog and all that, how, where can people find you? They can find us at uh, tmh.church. That's our new website. Yeah. So, yep. And then I think our Twitter handle is the Meeting House was taken already. So they it, was. it was. It was. <laughs> Those Canadians. Um, so we've got some sort of handle that's a combination of Meeting House and USA and BIC, and I couldn't tell you what it is. I bet it's <laughs> on the website, would, though. It's on the website. Yeah. But I, we're on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. And you want to share your Twitter? You're, you blog, don't you? You blog? I have Sporadically? Yes. I have not recently. Um, but my blog is Finding Home. And my Twitter is M Dancause. M Dancause. D A N C A U S E. I remember that. Yeah, yep. It's like because, take out the B, put in a Dan. Oh, look at that. Yep. All right. Well, Meredith, thanks so much. I know I'm going to get to see you in a few months. We figured out before we recorded. So I'm looking forward to that. So, yes. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for making the time. Thanks for finding the margin to ah, sit down with me and talk about sermon prep. Yes, it's so fun to get to do it. Thank you, John. Yeah, blessings.
So much fun to have that conversation with Meredith. Thank you once again for listening. Please help spread the word, twitter.com slash sermonsmith or facebook.com sermonsmith. I think I gave it sermonsmith.com because sermonsmith was not available, but you can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. Please help spread the word to others. Always appreciate it, and I love hearing from new listeners and having them tell the story of how they found through a recommendation of someone else or knowing the guest or something like that. So thanks so much. Talk to you soon.